Thank you, handbells, for that reminder that there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. That's the story uh, that we gather week after week to celebrate, to proclaim. That is the story of the Scriptures, and that's why we continually uh, continue to open the Scriptures as we come together as uh, a body of believers. So let me invite you to open the Scriptures with me this morning to the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy as we continue our series there. 1 Timothy, if you're using a pew Bible, certainly would encourage you to do so. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures uh, in, in some other fashion with you, uh, if you're using a pew Bible, it should be on page 960. But this is Paul's letter, his first letter to Timothy. Remember that last week we uh, said that Paul writes this letter to young Pastor Timothy, who's a, a friend of his and a co-worker in the gospel, to encourage him to stay in Ephesus and to straighten out the church there that has veered uh, from the truth and is now proclaiming uh, things that are uh, not supportive or uh, conducive to the gospel of grace. And so we continue our series today uh, titled Blueprints for a Gospel-Centered Church. For in this letter we see uh, the central message of the gospel upheld and instructions for the church and how to live and walk according to it. So as you find your place there uh, in First Timothy, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of, of God's Word. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin reading today in verse 12. Paul continues this letter and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have, sh- have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord God, we are here today to hear from you grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. For this word is God-breathed. It's useful for rebuking, for teaching, for correcting and training in righteousness. So Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it now. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. As we began this particular letter last week, as we opened up to 1 Timothy last week, we read that there was a big problem going on uh, in the church at Ephesus. 
That was false teaching. Some of the leaders of that church, this was not a movement from the outside, this was uh, something that was taking place on the inside. Some of the leaders of that particular church had drifted from the truth and were promoting things that were inconsistent with the pure gospel of grace. This wasn't outright secularism or, or paganism, but it was a subtle thing, a drifting from the core components of our faith. And as Paul continues writing to Timothy, he uh, continues to stress the, important of, the importance of, of right teaching, uh, of sound doctrine. This remains in his focus, and we see that all sound doctrine conforms to the gospel of grace. All sound doctrine conforms to the gospel of grace. Now, that doesn't mean that all of the focus of our teaching should be reduced to grace. If that were so, perhaps we would come together and we would read John 3.16 and we would sing Jesus Loves Me week after week and then we would go home. But no, what it means is that all of our focus and all of our teaching should be connected to and consistent with the gospel of grace. So if the gospel of grace is such a big deal, if it is so central, then what is it? Friends, here it is. This is the gospel of grace. Through Jesus, God gives new life to sinners. Through Jesus, God gives new life to sinners. You see, all of us are prone to self-promotion. An absorption with ourselves, the pursuit of power, pleasure, success, wealth, or fame drives the typical man. A longing for achievements and accolades. In fact, Paul begins this letter, as he often does, stating his own credentials. He says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. We know, according to the Scriptures, according to the New Testament, that to be an apostle of Christ was a rather big deal. Uh, These were the ones that Christ had entrusted with spreading the message of the gospel, with building the foundation of the church. And Paul begins by stating, this is who I am. I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. But then uh, the content of the message quickly shifts away from himself. Notice who does the work of salvation and transformation in his life. He says, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. He says, I was shown mercy. God's grace poured out on me abundantly. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, I was shown mercy. Now to him, now to this God who saves, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, he says, this is God's work. It is abundantly clear in Paul's mind that he has done absolutely nothing to earn this salvation, to earn this position and also this commission. In fact, he he knows that he has earned just the opposite, the judgment of God for sin. For he was, verse 13, a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. He, He says that unknowingly he opposed God and the ways of God fervently. And so did we, friends. So did we, according to the scriptures, before God saved us. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, we too, all of us, believers included, one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. It says that we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating, hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, 
He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see, God saved us because of His mercy. This removes any room for boasting in anything that any of us have have done, for none of us deserve this new life. The theological term for this new life is, is regeneration. This is the idea of being born again. Or born in the the Spirit. Born from above. Spiritual rebirth. A work of God in us. I thought about that. It reminded me of of a story that... um, uh, Or a situation, I guess, that Ashley and I have been following with a family that we are uh, familiar with. uh, Back in our hometown. A a family where the mother has uh, developed a, a liver disease and has required a liver transplant in order for her life to be sustained any longer here on this earth. And perhaps you already know this, but the liver has the greatest regenerative capacity of any organ in the body. It regrows. And so in this particular case, a living donor has given a portion of his liver in order to save the life of someone else, knowing that if all goes well, that's a big if, if all goes well, Both the donors and the recipients' livers will regrow to full size over time as cells reproduce, producing new life. Friends, that is absolutely incredible. Well, in this gospel, the gospel of grace, the message that we say is central to the scriptures, the message that we want to be about, the message that we gather uh, to hear and to proclaim and to celebrate, uh, Paul tells Timothy to contend for this particular message. And it's a message that says that God gives new life. That he provides new life, a a kind of new life that isn't confined to a particular organ or system of the body. Rather, it's holistic. It leads to all sorts of transformation. A new position, Paul says, from a persecutor to a minister of the gospel. A new perspective from anger and violence to joy and thanksgiving and a new mission from opposition to Jesus and His way to adamantly promoting the spread of His message. Friends, this is the gospel of grace and this gospel is personal. The gospel is personal. Paul says, essentially, this is what happened to me. He says, I'm not talking about generalities here. He says, this is what I have experienced I experienced the grace and the mercy of God, sparking faith in Christ Jesus and love for Him. This is God's work. But you and I must receive it. God does it. He extends it to us, but we must receive the gift. So let's receive God's grace. Let's be people who receive His grace. And we receive it through repentance and faith, according to His Word. Repentance is is more than acknowledging that we've done wrong. Surely all people know that we've done wrong. Repentance is more than that. It is turning from the pursuit of power and pleasure, riches and fame, or whatever else we might substitute for God, and turning to Jesus. It is bowing before Him. It is submitting to Him. It is trusting in Him. I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, Rudyard Kipling's uh, story, The Jungle Book, but I imagine many of you are, maybe most of you are. It's been uh, put out in various versions over 
uh, time, but my family was privileged just a few days ago to watch the 2016 uh, uh, version of the film, The Jungle Book. And uh, in that story, uh, Mowgli, uh, the young uh, man-cub who's raised by the wild animals in the jungle, finally comes to a point in his life where his life is in danger from uh, Shere Khan, the, the tiger who rules over the jungle. And so uh, the, the wolf pack decides to, to send him home, to send him away for his own well-being on this journey of self-discovery. And, and there's a line in that film that's rather powerful between uh, Raksha, the, 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 the mother wolf, who is the adoptive mother of Mowgli, and, and Mowgli, this, this, this boy, Hard to imagine there could be such a powerful line between uh, an animal and a man. But in this particular movie, it's powerful as, as she looks him in the eye. They look each other in the eye as he's about to go on his way. And she says to him, she says, never forget this. You are mine. Mine to me. No matter where you go or what people may call you, you will always be my son. Friends, in the gospel of grace, God looks on us, rebellious, sinful men and women, boys and girls who've gone our own way, and and He extends forgiveness to us. A restored relationship, a clean slate, and He says that we are His children. He looks upon those who are His, those who've repented and trusted in Him, and He says, you are a son, you are a child of the Most High God. In essence, he says, no matter where you go or what you may do or what people may call you, however people may treat you, you are my son and you will always be my son. Friends, that is grace. That is incredible mercy given to us, extended to us by the Lord of all creation, by the one and only God. Just a matter of days after the resurrected Jesus left Uh, the earth in bodily form and ascended to his rightful throne in heaven, one of his followers, Peter, well-known follower, right, stands up before uh, a large crowd of religious Jews and he says essentially to them, you guys messed up. You missed it. You've made a big mistake. Jesus of Nazareth is God's plan to save you, to save us, to save sinners, and you killed him. You rejected the Messiah, the one sent by God to save us, and the one who will reign forever and ever and ever. And as Peter preaches, the powerful Spirit of God is at work, and many in the crowd began to experience conviction. They began to believe this message that he is proclaiming. And so they asked Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? What can we do? How can we make this right? Peter replies, recorded in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. We're told with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the church grows rapidly as men and women hear the gospel and receive God's grace. Individuals, people heard the gospel and they responded by turning to Jesus. They responded by receiving God's grace. The text says those who accepted his message were baptized. 
And friends, that tells me that not all accepted. Some did not accept the message. Have you accepted the message of forgiveness of sins through Jesus? Friend, have you received the grace of God? Have you turned and repented and trusted in Jesus for salvation? Friend, the gospel is for you. The gospel of grace is is for you. Receive God's grace today. The gospel is personal. It demands a response, an individual response from sinners who have gone their own way. It demands an individual response from us. It is personal. Yet, in another sense, this very same gospel is also universal. The gospel is universal. In other words, Jesus came to offer this new and eternal life to all. It's extended to all. It's offered to all. It's not applied to all. It's applied to those who believe, but it's offered to all. Whosoever will believe. Paul says, verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, here is something important. Listen to this. Believe it. Stake your life upon it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why He came. He came to save sinners. Sinners, he says, of whom I am the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Meaning all who believe in him receive eternal life. This means that absolutely no one on earth is beyond the reach of, of God's grace. Friends, it never runs out. In fact, listen to these words by uh, Martin Luther, the great German uh, reformer on the grace of God. Listen to this powerful expression. He said, Just as the sun is not darkened by the whole world enjoying its light. Or as the, the sun continues to shine and the, the earth absorbs the light and experiences the light of the sun, but it doesn't in any way diminish the brightness of the sun, and could indeed light up ten worlds, just as 100,000 lights might be lit from one light and not detract from it, just as a learned man is able to make a thousand others learned, and the more he gives, the more he has, so is Christ our Lord. So is Christ our Lord, an infinite source of all grace, so that if the whole world would draw enough grace and truth from it to make the world all angels. Yet it would not lose a drop. The fountain always runs over full of grace. Friends, Jesus offers love and life to the wicked. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, not to help those who help themselves, not to reward those who have a hankering for religion and not simply to provide significance or purpose for those looking for a worthy cause to join. No, Jesus came to offer life to dead men. He came to extend forgiveness to wicked women. He came to transform rebellious children. He came to destroy sin's grip on you. Friend, He came to save you. He came to save you, and He came to save me, and He came to save young girls in India forced into slavery. And and He came to save uh, children in uh, Japan, students in Japan struggling to climb the competitive ladder, and He came to save farmers in Ethiopia who are struggling to provide food for their families. And He 
came to save misguided uh, warriors in Afghanistan, and he came to rescue the impoverished in Mexico City, and he came uh, to save politicians in D.C. and bankers in Birmingham and professors in Tuscaloosa. He came to save Democrats in New York City and Republicans in Mississippi. He came to save retirees in Florida and neglected children in East Lake. He came to save pitchers and coaches Uh, catchers and fans. Jesus came for all callers and all kinds of people who hold this one thing in common. Lost in sin and in need of God's grace. So brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, recipients of this new life, children of the King, let's be people who not only receive God's grace, but let's be people who promote His grace. Who proclaim His grace grace, who champion his grace. This is what Paul is doing. He's championing uh, uh, the gospel as he commands Timothy to fight for this message, to contend for the gospel of grace. In fact, he soon urges prayer in the very next chapter for those in positions of authority for the sake of advancing the gospel of Jesus. Listen to what he says. First Timothy chapter two, verse three, he says, this is good and pleases God, our savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So friends, we promote God's grace because we have experienced His grace. Those who follow Jesus know, we know that we have done nothing to deserve to be called God's people. The gospel of of grace clearly conveys that we have all, in fact, if we take it seriously, we have all earned hell. None of us, not one of us have earned hell. Heaven, and yet Jesus earns it for us. The great exchange of the gospel, God imputes or he accredits the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the moral right standing before God of Jesus Christ to us as he takes on our sin and our guilt, paying its penalty in full on the cross of Calvary. Friend, those who have received such an incredible gift of grace naturally. We naturally want to see others hear and respond to the God of all grace. So we promote the glory and the honor of our Savior. In fact, when Paul thinks about this message, as he transcribes this message, as he's writing to Timothy, and he begins to think about what God has done for him in Christ, he cannot help himself. Verse 17, he, he bursts into praise for this God, the gospel sparks God's praise, sparks God's praise. Those who hear it and receive it and respond to it naturally then begin to want to praise this God. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, this is not about Paul. It's not about Paul. It's about Jesus. The saved want to praise the author of salvation. Grace does this. Being shown mercy does this. See, when we get this message and we trust in the Messiah, we realize that life is a whole lot more about God than it is about us. And not only do we realize that, but we're grateful that this is the way that it is. We want the one true King and Lord to be exalted near and far, now and forever. So let's praise God for His grace. Believers, let's be a people who praise this God, who worship Him for His grace. We receive His grace, we promote His grace, and we praise Him for His His grace. For through Jesus, God gives new life to sinners. 
new life and eternal life to, to sinners. And this new life is comprised of a new perspective, a new control center, no longer about me, but about Jesus. For his love compels us. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, for Christ's love compels us. We can't help ourselves. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, lives that respond to the gospel grace are also then transformed by this gospel of grace. And perhaps you're here this morning, and this is not a new message to you. Maybe it's a message that you've heard countless times. But the text here is describing something, a sort of celebrative response of ongoing praise that it may feel rather foreign to you. Maybe you've participated in church for quite some time. Maybe you've even indicated that you made a decision in church, but you're beginning to wonder, have I indeed truly responded to God's grace? Have I received this grace? Have I truly believed in Him and received eternal life? And if that is you, then in response, I would ask you this question. Do you long to praise God? Do you long to praise Him? Do you have a desire to exalt Him? For you see, when the gospel of grace is appropriated to our lives, then we want to praise Him. We want to praise Him. Those who know His grace want to celebrate the God of all grace. And part of celebrating Him is telling his story, telling others about him, telling the story of the gospel of grace. And because this story is so often distorted and denied, Christ's church must contend for this gospel. The church, the bride of Christ, the family of believers, the household of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, who gather together in local churches, the church must contend for for this gospel, the only gospel, the, God, the gospel of, of grace. You see in the final three verses of the chapter, verses 18 and 19 and 20, Paul circles back to Timothy. He circles back around telling Timothy to fix the mess in the church in Ephesus. For some of its leaders, namely Hymenaeus and Alexander and presumably others, have veered from the simple gospel of grace, and they have begun engaging and promoting myths and controversial speculations, chapter 1, verse 4. But because the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, chapter 3, verse 15, those who are promoting teachings inconsistent with the gospel of grace must be cast out. They must be removed. This is church discipline. Protecting the congregation by correcting those in error with an end goal, according to the New Testament, of reconciliation. You see, all sound doctrine conforms to the gospel of grace. For the gospel of grace is the central message of God's word. Thus, let's make it central in our lives. Make it central in your life. Make this message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Make it central in your life. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified, right? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May that be true in our lives. You see, recipients of God's saving grace have new life, a life that revolves around exalting Jesus. Does your life exalt Jesus? Are you living for Jesus? Does your marriage exalt Jesus? Does your bank statement exalt Jesus? Do your conversations in the workplace exalt Jesus? Do your Sundays exalt Jesus? Do your conversations with your children exalt Jesus? Does your internet usage exalt Jesus? Where does your life, where, does my, where do our lives not reflect Jesus? Friends, He gave Himself for you and for me. How could we not live for Him? Make the gospel of grace, which is the gospel of Jesus, central in your life. And then, friends, let's make it central in our church. Make it central in your church. From our preschool ministry to our senior adults, may we proclaim the gospel of grace. From the pulpit to the choir loft, may we proclaim the gospel of grace. In our gatherings and through our ministries, may we proclaim the gospel of grace as a testimony to what it is that we have received and for the glory of the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, forever and ever, ever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. And Lord, may it be so. Lord, may we be a people who not only hear your word, but who respond to it. Lord, who receive your grace and live according to it. Lord, who walk in it. Who begin to live lives that, that are worthy of the gospel. Lord, certainly we know that we can never earn salvation, but Lord, as your Spirit begins to work in us and to transform us and to lead us to obey you, to serve you, to commit to you, Lord, may the gospel of Christ resound through our lives, in our thoughts, in our hearts, through our words, by what we say and do. May your name be praised in us, for you are worthy. Lord, help us to respond now to the truths of your word. Help us to respond to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.